This is episode 132 of the Mindset Game podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. You can find more of my content by going to my website, fitamputee.co.uk. Each week on the Mindset Game podcast, we bring you an inspirational athlete, message, or expert talking about human optimization to teach you how to change the perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got JR Glimpse. He's the founder of Go Defy Life and the Defy Life podcast. He believes there's a need within everyone to defy life. Make sure to share this with your friends on your Instagram story, on Twitter, or on Facebook. They can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that they listen to podcasts by searching for Mindset Game Podcast. In the episode, we talked about how did the Defy Life podcast come about, what is his opinion on how people can improve themselves by 1%, and how can they change their perception of their mindset, his trial and tribulations he faced as a high school athlete, and finally, has basketball become a new age versus old school, and not forgetting what is his opinion on accepting criticism. Take a screenshot and tag at GoDefyLife and at JamesORoberts11. Without further ado, let's get into today's show. So welcome on to the show, JR. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. So before we delve into today's topic, JR, for the listeners that don't know about your podcast to start with, can you give a little bit of a brief description? Absolutely. So uh, the Defy Life podcast is um, it's the, uh, the the main podcast on my podcast network. Uh, so it's our flagship podcast. It's hosted by myself and um, my co-founders, uh, Gerald Hedrick, Keon Small, Thomas Stevens, and Alan Glenn. Uh So we uh, talk a variety of topics, sports, um, current events, politics, um, parenthood, um, and, you know, um, we have a trivia session, so uh, pretty much whatever comes up, we talk about it. So it can, it can vary week to week, then I presume. Yeah, it, and it is sports-centric, um, but, you know, with all of us being, you know, husbands and fathers, anything kind of comes up every now and then. Well, I think rightly so. And then obviously, well... As we record in this, I think I'm trying to think when my episode was out, but it's quite recently I was on your show, uh, obviously not, not not with you yourself, because of um, Hurricane Florence, but obviously that's, yeah. if my listeners, if you get a chance, uh, do, 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 do take a listen to that episode. Yeah, absolutely, uh, you had an opportunity uh, to sit down with Gerald, and uh, really awesome interview, man, we enjoyed you, Gerald had a ball. Well, he he asked uh, some questions I wasn't expecting, so that's that's mm-hmm. uh, always good. Cool. Oh yeah, we uh, try to uh, you know keep people on their toes, so uh, <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. Oh, I did. I did. He he obviously had his own que- his own questions that he wanted to ask, mm-hmm. and then some that he'd uh, how would I put this. Um, pre-transcribed to, to, to ask me and okay. then obviously the following questions went from there but 
first of all, what my first question to you would be, Jia, is how did you come up with the initial idea of releasing that podcast in the first place? Uh, well, we started Defy Life as uh, just a uh, just a blog initially, um, and I had been in um, sports media for sports media and blogging for about twelve years. And I wanted to step away from doing just sports and branch out to doing, you know, focusing on entrepreneurship and, um, you know, focusing on local art, like independent artists, things like that. And uh, two friends of mine uh, was uh, Keon and Thomas, who were my co-founders, reached out to them. They voiced, you know, previously uh, interest in doing the same thing. Uh, They just didn't know how to get started. So I reached out. When I left my old company and asked them if they wanted to just do this together, and uh, we reached out, started the blog, and about six months later, we started the podcast, and it's kind of been doing it ever since. So we're about about a year and a half in now. Going from, and I'm assuming going from strength to strength. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And my following question for that, Jai, would be, in your opinion. How can people improve themselves by one percent? Um, well, as as a former athlete myself, I'm sure you can relate. I tend to, you know, after you get out of a structured competition, um, it's more about competing with yourself um, and trying to be better than you were the day before, um, even if it's just in one area of your life. So that's what I focus on. Uh, whether it's on being a better father, uh, being a better business person, um, I, I compete with myself and um, you know set goals, write them down, uh, make them tangible, and uh, just focus on being a better whatever part of my life than I was the day before. And is that looking more inwards as opposed to most people in society today? look for and kind of an extrinsic motivation yes absolutely uh, yeah, and whether that comes down to um, you know whether it's tangible numbers you know even if something's you know for us that matters as far as like podcast streams and downloads um, or you know whether it's something that can't be measured in numbers um, you know it's always focusing inward and uh, and competing with myself on a day-to-day basis. And this probably moves nicely to my next question for you. In your opinion, how can people change their perception of mindset now? Um, for one, um, I, especially in current culture, we have a tendency to compare um, ourselves to you know, others, what they have and what they're doing, and um, especially with social media being such a big aspect of it, is we rarely get the opportunity to know people on a personal level. We only get what they are willing to show us. Um, so developing that mindset to, um, again, looking inward and focusing on the things that you can control. And, uh, and, and most of those things are things within us. And more, like, probably more specifically, Jr. Mm-hmm. What do you think the young athlete 
should really do because obviously they've got access to be it social media, television, mm-hmm. and from some perspectives, what a news outlet shows what an well say a higher level athlete is doing is not always the truth. How mm-hmm. how would you get them to probably perceive? the outside world in, in, in terms of that be it their perception from a mindset perspective but also how to improve themselves without getting external factors being a bit, little bit over, overwhelming yeah absolutely um, you know the one thing I tell anyone is um, don't be afraid of hard work um, and understand that nobody nobody mistakes their way into success um, you know, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of willful diligence. Um, and so use your resources. Um, you know, there are, um, whether you know someone or you know someone that knows someone who is, who has past success or current success in any, you know, in any endeavor that you may, that may lie in with your interest, um, reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out to people and, um, and take chances. Um, we have, you know, Every, everything that we need is, 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 is provided to us. It's just a matter of reaching out and doing it. So um, if you're an athlete, uh, understand that, you know, what you put into your body and not, not even just what you eat and what you drink, but what you ingest, you know, through television, through social media, the people you hang around, everything that you put into your body and you consume uh, is going to show up in the results. So um, if you are, you know, really really serious about your intentions um you've, you've got to be willing to one you know put in the work and uh and, and and make some sacrifices and jr in the beginning of the episode you you talked about your background in sports i'm assuming mm-hmm. because you come from a um how would i put this trying to be not trying to be as pc as possible being from <laughs> a, a, a an earlier generation than say Ooh. the ones the millennials Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you did more than one sport in high school. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I was a football player, a basketball player. I, uh, I threw shot put in discus, played baseball up until uh, early high school. So I was pretty busy year-round. And what were kind of some of the trials and tribulations you had to face and kind of get that, you could say, that work-life balance? Um. You know, I had two other, two older sisters who were athletes as well, and both played basketball in college. So I kind of had that uh, that blueprint laid out for me. Um, and you know, my parents stressed you know, education first. So um, in a lot of senses, it wasn't uh, wasn't an option. <laughs> um, you know, to have both um, you know my, my my academics and my athletics in line. Um, and when they weren't, I, I, I heard about it and it was worked on. Um, but it was, uh, you know, as a young, you know, when you're 16, 17, 18, it, you know, sometimes you do lose focus. Um, but again, it's about surrounding yourself with the right people and, uh, and, and setting goals and, and listening to the people who've been there before you and uh, kind of following that blueprint. But you, you mentioned there that you did football, basketball, and shot put. How, how was the training implemented that you were kind of being able to be uh, to be able to be 
successful over a multitude of sports because they're very different in terms of the the energy requirements that they requ- uh, that they're going to need and require, but they're more so be it position specific as well. Yeah, um, well, for one, I'll say this: that uh, all sports that I played, and and again, the people around me, but me specifically, all the sports that I played helped me in some area in the other sports. So when I was playing basketball, um, you know, my footwork and um, hand-eye coordination, that kind of stuff helps you with football. And in football, you know, the use of your quads and, um, you know, the uh, technique that you use in football kind of helped me in, you know, as far as, you know, like specific movements helped me in um, in basketball and in, in, in track and shot putting discus. So I think those things kind of overlap and help you even when you don't realize they're helping you. Um, but then it also, um, it also helps to have understanding coaches because a lot of times those seasons kind of overlap. Um, and so they understand that, you know, when you're done with one, you'll be there for the other. Um, you know, so to kind of get that, you know, you kind of have to finish one task before you take on another, um, especially in high school. You can't play two sports at once. Uh, you kind of have to, you know, have the understanding of your coaches to know that, you know, one season has to end before you jump into another. But then was that not problematic at times? But then I'm assuming from what you've just mentioned there, you had coaches that were very understanding of that, uh, be it playoff run and things of that nature. Yeah, um, and what I noticed today is a lot of, you know, um, I have a nephew who plays football in college now, and, you know, of course, being from an entirely different generation, as you mentioned, um, some coaches nowadays aren't as understanding, and they want kids to be more sports-specific and specialized. Um, So there's not a lot of that understanding anymore. Um, But I'm always an advocate for, uh, for multiple sports and for kids to play different sports and not be so specialized at an early age uh, because one, it helps them grow in all areas. You work different muscles, you work different body parts, you learn different techniques. And uh, so coaches, I, I wish you know all coaches would understand that you know it's not taking anything away from your specific team or sport that uh, it, it's only going to help the kid in the long run. That's probably great that you answered that. So I was going to ask you what was your take in terms of, do you think, and probably maybe more so in the United States, it's become more of a systematic problem in terms of people uh, probably regressing to a certain extent because they're not able to experience a multitude of sports at a young age, thus possibly, well, from a physical sense, they're hampering their bodies because they're getting because of all the repetitive movements but but in terms of going back to your early days in sport what kind of positions did you did you have to play uh well in football which you know I also played in college it was you know there are two sides of the ball so I played offensive line and linebacker so that was two totally different um you know skill sets um which helped also um, and then in basketball, I was a, uh, I was a power forward. Um, so, you know, that's a different skill set than, and I was a, you know, I'm, I was a shorter, broader power forward. So in the Charles Barkley sense, um, so had to use a, a different kind of, uh, skill set as far as, you know, 
defensive skills, um, you know, how to get your shot off over taller players, things of that nature. Um, and again, you know, shot putting discus and track. Um, and then baseball, I played first base. Uh, so, you know, pretty much learning and relearning things throughout the year. Um, it helped me, um, helped you focus, helps you grow, helps you step outside of your comfort zone a lot. Um, and, you know, and also, you know, playing multiple sports, you learn how to deal with so many different types of personalities. So it was a definitely helpful. And I think you mentioned, you, you raised raise a great point there, Jay. What, what really uh, enthuses me in terms of your answer is, is because you, you said you played the offensive line but played linebacker. I would have mm. thought by you playing offensive line, I would have thought you would have played on the, on, on the defensive <laughs> line itself. Yeah, that's, uh, that's funny. So a little bit of background on that. So I was in middle school. I was an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman to start out. And I begged my coach to play linebacker. And, of course, he thought I was, you know, I was bigger than most kids. So he thought, you know, of course, naturally you're going to play on the line. Um, but as first game of the season, uh, I went out, chased down a couple quarterbacks, batted down a couple passes, and he saw that, okay, you move like a linebacker, so let's give this a shot. And uh, so they pretty much kept me there um, once I moved on to high school and just kept me a linebacker. That's quite interesting. But then, obviously, let's get your take on this more from the basketball sense now. You played power forward. Mm-hmm. Do you think now we kind of transgress and move to the present day? Do you think from a basketball sense, even, well, we'll say the NBA is probably transition, but do you mm-hmm. think it's kind of coming down the levels, be it college and high school, where there's no real... Um, need for say somebody you know that historic would be a center and things of that nature and like kind of some positions are probably non-existent the other example would probably be like a point, a point guard mm-hmm. yeah we uh we talk about this on the show quite often is now especially the nba like you mentioned it's kind of come it's kind of morphed into a positionless game um and it's more about roles than it is positions at this point um, and yeah, and it's interesting whenever I play like pickup games uh, with, with like younger or younger guys and, you know, I go to post up or play with your back to the basket, you know, they, they call you old school. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a different game now. And if, you know, nowadays you have all five positions on the court that can shoot and I mean, shoot with a range, like out to three point range. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, those guys were considered, you know, teams had a, a three-point specialist. Now, everybody, it's a requirement to be able to shoot from distance. So it's definitely a different game. But why do you think they call it old school? And I very much echo your, your sentiment in terms of it because I'll play against younger people as well. And they'll, they'll ask me, why do I do it? Well, I do it because it's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's... I mean, it, it, it's really old school because they're not familiar with it. Um, you know, you see, you know, kids who are six, eight, and above who aren't taught to play with their back back to the basket. Uh, so that's just not the game that they're familiar with, um, and so they they don't understand why you would back someone down in the lane and um, and take time to work on post moves and when you can just shoot from three point range all day. Um, so it, it's definitely a different game. Yeah, you're right. A lot of them don't understand it. 
Um, they don't understand the nuances of it, the importance of it, how it affects, you know, spacing and um, and, and, and ball movement. Uh, so it's, it's it's just something that the younger generation is not familiar with. And I'm not saying, you know, one's better than the other um, by any means, um, but it's, you know, it's just different. But would you think, in one sense, the people of, say, oh gosh, when would it have gone out of fashion? Say, some from before the 2000s mm-hmm. would coin some of these players to some extent. It's going to be controversial now. A little bit soft, a little bit afraid of contact. Would that be something you you would, to some degree, agree with? Uh yeah. If we're comparing two, absolutely. Um, and it's, um, and I would say across all sports. I mean, if you know, look at the you know the NFL with. And rightfully so, with the emphasis on, um, you know, brain and head injuries, and and, and the uh, and the in the NBA with you know removing of hand checking and um, and you know enforcing rules on flopping and um, instituting zone you know zone rules, um, zone defenses. Um, it, it's definitely a, a more body friendly game, I guess I'll say than than, than it was, but. Uh, I guess every generation kind of looks at it that way. My father's generation probably thought we were soft. And so um, me being, you know, I'm 40. So, you know, I look at, you know, the generation now. And to me, yes, I would agree that it's a, it's a softer game. It's a it's a less impeding game for offenses. Um, so it is a bit softer. Um, but then again, like I always say, whatever sport it is, whether it's football or boxing or basketball, um, you look at guys who play professionally for a decade or more, and I would prefer those guys be able to walk and talk when they're 50. So I have no problems with it. But do you think that is why um, maybe the younger generation has more an emphasis on offense as opposed to, say, you and I being proud of the, our defensive efforts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's a lot of facets that go into that. Um, one, again, it's just not how they're taught to play. Uh, but then also, they they don't they don't know a world without SportsCenter or a world without YouTube or you know so they can just see highlights all day. And it's rare that they have an entire video highlight clip of defensive stops. <laughs> you know, that hardly happens. Uh, so kids are out the womb. They are. Uh, they're immersed in their offensive highlights and, and, and stats and scoring and, and fantasy numbers, um, you know, in fantasy league. So it, it's definitely, a, a, most sports are offensively driven. Um, and again, you go back to, uh, you know, sports like boxing, um, you know, Floyd Mayweather gets a lot of flack because he's a defensive based fighter. Um, he doesn't knock anybody out. Um, but again, they don't make highlight reels of those things. So, um, you know, kids, I, I, my kids, my, my sons are 11 and 9, and most of their, outside of me talking to them, most of their sports knowledge and, and sports history knowledge comes from YouTube. But how would you how would you change that perception and, in essence, mindset to be, well, we'll coin it old school? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes being hands-on and passing those things down from generation to generation. Um, and again, I, 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 you know, I'm hands-on with my kids. I go out and play with them. I show them things. Um, you know, take them to the basketball court. Work. You know, go in the yard and play with them. 
um, throw the football around, and I show them things that they're not going to see in a highlight window. Um, and I think, as especially as parents, we have to be mindful not to leave everything up to coaches because you know coaches have a lot of kids to deal with, and they can't show kids every single thing if they're not getting exposure to it from anywhere else. Uh, so I think as as parents, as fathers, we have to be hands on and pass those you know whether it's techniques and skills and the history of sport down to our children so it's not a lost concept i definitely echo that sentiment in terms of uh be it play against your parents your father or whatnot because well well gone are the days me doing that against my father because (laughs) once he lost to me now uh in the game of pickup it's like yeah i'm not gonna play you anymore (laughs) yeah Absolutely. Yeah, my dad stopped playing me when I was 14. Says so like he couldn't beat me anymore. So, yeah. Well, I, it, it, I probably learned from my father in terms of the the post game. What mm-hmm. he's six foot three. Um, gosh, weighs quite a lot more than me. So he's gonna use that as an advantage and chuck his weight around. So I I didn't like it back then as a teenager. It's like, well, you 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 well you're using your we'll call it brute force to a certain extent to be able to overpower me. Yeah. But Back then we called it old man strength. <laughs> and uh, you, you don't understand the, uh, the benefits of old man strength until you get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and we, we talked about this on uh, one of the, um, on one of our topics, uh, you know, one of my co-hosts, Keon, has a son who's three. And so he's kind of getting into that, you know, that space where he's able to play around with him in the yard and show him how to play things. And that's one thing we stress to him is, you know, don't let him win um, because that builds character. Because um, I can remember the first time I beat my father in basketball. Um, and it wouldn't have been such a memorable accomplishment if he just let me win since I was five. So um, that's one thing we have to uh, appreciate um, about being old school is, is, is not letting kids win all the time. But you you mentioned that, and then um, I'll probably go a step further than that. How do you think you could maybe approach this notion of well, to a certain extent, failure, but being being able to put somebody accountable? Whereas my coach would be able to approach me in a different light than say somebody, oof, say ten years my my. Uh, junior because okay i was fortunate to compete at a higher level than i do now so i'm used to well i would coin it creative uh, constructive criticism as opposed to being criticism outright because okay you are giving me information uh, be it i'm not doing something up to standard which is mm-hmm. fair enough because you'll look at it and say okay you are right um, it's a different set of eyes because what you see from the bench as opposed to on court is di- is night and day. So it, yeah. I, I don't know how would you kind of go from that notion, being able to be not their harshest critic, but give them that sense of, well, yeah, you are doing things well, but you need to look at these fine details as well. Yeah, that, that's a very good question because I think it, it can differ from from person to person. And, again, my kids are 
polar opposites as far as how they accept criticism. Um, so I've, I've learned to communicate with them in different ways. Um, to, you know, so like my oldest son, he, you know, he, he takes criticism very harshly. So I'm always making it a point to, to point out to him that, you know, I'm, I'm not putting you down, but these are things I want you to work on. Um, and my youngest son is, he thinks he's LeBron already <laughs> um, and he's nine. So I kind of have with him, um, as the opposite is to kind of keep, keep it in perspective. Um, you know, regardless of how good you are, there's always someone out there working hard to be better than you. And the only way to keep getting better is to play people better than you play older kids. Um, so you're not content. Uh, so I think that message has to be de- delivered based on the person you're dealing with. Um, you know, cause you know, I, I had a coach that had this saying is some people need a pat on the back. Some people need a kick in the butt. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it depends on, on who's receiving that message of how you deliver it. And this is probably a little bit controversial, JR. Why do you think maybe some people in, in the millennium era are content with playing a lesser opponent? Yeah, um, and, and that's really controversial because, you know, again, in a lot of youth leagues now, you know, they don't keep score or everybody gets a trophy. And so we don't teach our kids how to accept failure and to to, to, un, to get them to understand that failure is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, that's one thing I always try to get through to my kids is failure is an opportunity to learn, um, and, that, and that's how you get better. Um and so I think that's a big part of it is we've, and I say we collectively, um, is that we have, we are teaching our kids that failure is an end um, when it's only a new beginning. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, so we, uh, we've kind of found ways to protect them from the world and protect them from reality um, because the reality of it is sometimes a lot of times, somebody's going to be better than you, um, and you're going to have to work to get better. Uh, sometimes somebody's going to work harder than you. You're going to have to step it up. And uh, those are things that we have to continue to instill in our youth um, and, and, and young athletes in particular because uh, those are major building blocks you know, for success. And my final question for you, JR, before we wrap up the episode, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away... What would that be? Oh, wow. Um, don't be afraid to take a couple steps back for for the long-term view. Um, is how I would sum it up. It's, you know, sometimes you have to make those sacrifices. Sometimes you do have to lose in order to learn how to win. So, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to take a couple steps back to sacrifice getting better in the end. So once again, JR, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Game Podcast. James, thank you so much for having me. It's been, uh, it's been great. Oh, it's been my pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let JR and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at GoDefyLife and at JamesOroberts11 on Twitter and Facebook. And again, do check out his podcast, defy life make sure to check that out the link will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsum.com 
under the category sports. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.